Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft. My name is Jay Allen Cross, also known as Oregon Wood Witch here on Instagram. I am here with my co-host, Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on Instagram. And we have a very special episode for you guys today. We have none other than the one and only Temperance Alden with us on the air. She has just released her new book, Year of the Witch, through Wiser Books. So she is one of my colleagues, we should say. And uh, we're going to be talking about all wonderful, witchy things. So welcome, Temperance. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, We are so glad to have you here. You are actually our first official guest on the podcast. So you should feel very special. Very, very special. Um, Yeah. I had you on the list pretty early on because I felt it would be right. Because not only do we have similar personalities, we love a good hot take, um, but we're all Aries here. All three of us right now. A triplicity of Aries. It's going to get spicy and hot in here. It is. Like astrology people would call it, what, a stellium? You know um, Yes. <laughs> I speak very little astrology, but that sounds that sounds correct. I'm I'm into it. Temperance, can I ask you a quick question? Do you know the rest of your chart? Like, what's your rising and your moon? I do. My rising is Capricorn, and my moon is Sagittarius. So I'm oh. a workaholic, and I like to party, and that's my personality. Yes, oh my work God, hard, I play hard. Yeah, I love people with Sag moons. They have so much energy. I don't know how y'all how y'all do it. You pair it with the Aries Sun, and it's a party. Like. It is such a party love it i love that and since we are a queer witchcraft podcast we of course have to know your astrology and also um i like to ask our new guests what are your pronouns um i go by she her or they them it doesn't matter perfect love that all mm-hmm. right so we are gonna get rocking and rolling here we're just gonna dive right on in i think Britain has a wonderful lead off question to get us started here yeah temperance so For those of you who may not be familiar with your work, can you describe to us what you do and what you're about? Of course. So um, initially, I was blogging a lot on the internet, really heavy. um, And now I've written a book. So the concept of the book and kind of like my whole life's purpose, I feel like my whole purpose in the community has been to give people back the power to do their craft their own way instead of... uh, completely taken by dogma or like religious code or whatever else. And there's a lot of people floating around in the community that have always been like, I, this doesn't fit for me, but I know I'm in the community somewhere. Where is here? Where is there? And that's been kind of my goal through all of my work is to give people a place to be like, okay, you know what? It doesn't matter if I find the place I'm here right now. And how am I going to use the space and how am I going to be genuine to me? So that's how the book came to be because I'm living in Florida and um, we're not getting snow. We're not getting Yule. We're not doing wheat harvests. Like, what are we doing? How are we connecting to it? And I would get questions all the time. Like, you know, hey, temperance, like, you know, and people don't, don't, people don't mean harm. You know, they'd be like, oh, like happy, happy Yule, blessed bell table, blah, blah, blah. Like, what are you doing for this holiday? And I'd be like, nothing. Like, it's not that holiday where I am right now. 
So, you know, of course there's solstices, of course there's equinoxes, but other than that, it's like the things that we associate with them. And I was like, you know, I, I'm just going to like, I'm going to give people a map to what I'm doing in case they can't do it either. And, you know, go from there. So that's kind of like been the guiding principle of my work. I love that. That is really wonderful. I have a similar like feeling around holiday, like the high witch holidays and whatnot. And I feel that a lot of it depends on your locality. I grew up in Florida, actually, um, like all over. <laughs> so I totally understand like Yule, like the aspects of Yule wouldn't really fit in that ecology and in that like landscape there. No. So it's like, what else do you do? What else do you do? And that, I think, you know, um, I don't want to say my book is the first, but my book is the first that did it was um, take the wheel and make it climate based instead of, you know, exactly um, calendared. Because to me, I can tell a lot of the difference in my seasons when, you know, the moon starts changing, we get those big, you know, full moons and harvest moons. So be like, this has changed, or you walk outside and it's dry one day, and you're like, okay, things are shifting. Um, there's different cues to our climate. We all have different climates, right? So where the wheel was written in England, um, because Gerald Gardner is the one that threw all these holidays together, and they, they don't all go together. So that's the first thing there. That's, first hot take of this whole podcast is that the holidays don't all go together. Um, when he did this, he was making it for his climate and his climate was temperate England. So what are the rest of us doing? If you're in North America, Central America, South America, if you're in Australia, if you're in the rest of the world, what are you doing? And how do you break that down? You break it down by climate. Um, so that was like a big focus of my book. That is beautiful. That is wonderful. And I think it's really important because that's something we talk about on this podcast a lot is not necessarily sticking with the specific dogma or like, you know, you know, the red candles for this and this plan is for that. It's more about, you know, going underneath to the actual energy, to the actual, you know, vibration underneath that. And then so even if, you know, your changing of the season doesn't happen on specifically this date as stated by the, you know, uh, traditional wheel of the year, being able to just actually sense the changes around you in the land, in the air, in, you know, all these things around you. It's so important. I think that's wonderful that you're bringing that here to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that you're very vocal about being rooted in the land and being rooted in like the current climate, because we are living amidst a climate crisis. We are. And, and, it, and I feel that it is our duty as witches to show up for that. And I think that that's really beautiful the way you're doing that. I think, I think it's a double-edged sword. And here's, here's kind of where my opinion is. I wrote the book as an earth-based pagan. So I have that stance, right? But if someone is not earth-based in their craft, I don't think they would relate to the concept of why, mm. of why the land is important, which, um, you know, that's, that's on them, but I definitely think it's, it's actually a problem in our community. It's a big problem in our communities that people don't, who don't work with land, who don't connect with the land, who don't connect with the spirits on the land at all. You know, where are they, where are they falling and how are they doing this? And earth-based witches really connect with it. And that's something that we do and we see climate change and we see all this stuff, but then you have the whole other end of the spectrum that isn't doing that. And, you know, I don't want to call out any specific people, but, you know, like the conspiracy theory people, QAnon, people like that, that fall into our community that like get lumped with us that aren't necessarily part of our community. Like that's a big issue right now. Yeah. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had some really strange things happening in the community. You had 
a friend recently who on Twitter, some, some stuff just went down with that. Um, do you, do you have any details on that or? Um, well, essentially what happened with that, she's a very, I wouldn't say like, she's a known, um, female occultist. She talks about Thalema a lot. Uh, that's what her content is focused on is ceremonial magic, Thalema, stuff like that. And she had been invited to an open talk on Crowley and it was her and like five or six other occultist male people. And, and it just went really south really fast. They were all neo-Nazis or, you know, spoke like neo-Nazis. Mm-hmm. It was very alt-righty. There was the, the comments were like full of alt-right incel stuff. And she was like, what the heck? Like, I have to get out of this. You know, then it becomes a thing of like, okay, where do you, how do you protect your content? How do you protect yourself in that situation? But how do you warn the community that like, there are these people that are dangerous in the community? How do you do mm-hmm. them in? Like, don't, you know? And so that was like, that was definitely some drama that went down. I think she handled it really well. Um, very happy for her. And she's one of the most intelligent people that I know. So when this happened mm. to her, she she was texting me as it happened, like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So like, you have to call it out somewhere so that other people know that like, this is happening. So yeah, it was definitely a rough situation, but I'm it's behind us now. <laughs> it is behind us. Unfortunately, these people are in our community, but it's important to talk about it because these are things that we don't see. And that's something we want to bring to this podcast is, you know, what is happening around us in our community right now? What are things that we need to be aware of? And so you know, the state of our community is not healthy. It's not. And you would be really honest about that. We have to take a really, you know, non-emotional look at that and be like, okay, this is the state of our community. Some of it's functioning really well and mm-hmm. some of it's not. And COVID, on top of, I, I feel like it, wherever there's spirituality, people, um, people who are desperate find it, you know, whether that be religion or what we're doing, wherever it is, desperation brings a lot of people to this. And that doesn't create the healthiest environment. It can get really toxic really fast. So it's definitely something that we as a community have to address and, you know, help people through or call it out, whichever the, whichever way it's going. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Um, Yeah, that is something that we do see. And that's something we do need to take in consideration, especially in modern times, there is this massive sort of open door policy to anyone and everyone should do witchcraft and be a witch and all these things. And and that gets very dangerous very quickly because you're right. This type of work draws in some very scary people sometimes, you know, either they're desperate or they are um, severely unstable in one way or another. And witchcraft is dangerous. You can curse people. You can really hurt people with this work. And so just handing out this magic to everybody can be quite an issue, especially with the everyone is welcome without any sort of parameters on that at all. (laughs) You know, just absolutely everybody. And people don't understand what that demographic of everybody really entails. So uh, that's something that we need to definitely look at. Yeah. So moving on to something maybe possibly a little bit lighter, I think Britain had a second follow-up question for you that I am also curious about. Yeah, so I'm really curious about what your flavor of witchcraft is. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like to self-describe it um, as Irish-based left-hand path. Um, I'm very folky, so most of my stuff is folk magic. I just started dipping my toes into ceremonial, um, so that's new and exciting for me. 
but like 90% of what I do is just both like just out here with some dirt. (laughs) Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Like the ceremonial stuff, while it, it interests me and I have been beginning to dip my toes into that realm, it just doesn't really mesh up with my whole like ditch witch vibe. (laughs) Yes, I ceremonial magic is wonderful and beautiful and amazing, but I do not have time. I need to get a handful of dirt and spit on it and throw it somewhere and call it a day. Um, A lot of the time. Now, when you say left hand path, can you describe for people what that means to you in your work? Um, I think this question is going to get a different answer depending on who's answering it. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, um, I deviate left and right hand path um, in the terms of I'll break it down super simple. Right hand path is like threefold karma, do no harm. Left hand path is whatever else is out there. And I'm in that whatever else is out there. Um, (laughs) The Wild West. Yeah, Wild West. I have my own set of morals. I'm not guided by set morals. And I think that's a big deviation between right and left hand path. Um, Mm -hmm. Right hand path tend to have set morals uh, guided by a principle or group or religion and left-hand path tends to be mostly solitary people who create their own morals and ethics based off of what they're doing, what they believe. So like, I just, I fall into the left hand because I have no issue with hexes, curses, jinxes, anything like that. I'm there for it. So I feel like it's a Mm -hmm. big differentiation between the two. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that we see a lot more in folk magic, you know, it comes from people who were in severe distress, which meant you had to do what you had to do to survive, which includes, you know, combat magic, hexes, curses, you know, what others would concern would consider dark work. Um, but these were all things that people really needed in order to survive. And it continues to this day. Yeah. You know, I think it, the line has gotten really Blurry. What am I looking for? Yeah, blurry. (laughs) It's gotten really blurry with the with the rise of the internet because people will say their one thing and then they'll be doing the other thing, um, and you're like, "Mm." (laughs) but you know, I I think it's up to each individual person because left hand path is so much more than my thirty second synopsis of what it is. Like, it's way deeper than that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. There are a lot of people currently right now who are who are talking about one thing, but then doing another thing. And unfortunately, right now, again, we are talking about the dawn of the internet, they're now doing these things in front of hundreds of 1000s of people who are watching them and emulating them. And this is where we get a lot of problems. Um, I've actually been very happy to find your Instagram. You you have how many followers right now? 102,000. That is amazing. And now let me tell you, I will check to see if people have purchased their followers and whether or not they are legit. And you are 100% legit. I and am. that is amazing that you I have. I don't care if people follow me. I think that's the key <laughs> is that I started this page. I swear to God, let me tell you the creation of this page. <laughs> I started it. At, so a few years back, there was this really popular pottery line called Ray Dunn. It was sold at TJ Maxx. I was obsessed with this shit. And I created this Instagram account because I was obsessed with it. And it was, um, it was a pottery fan page. And at the time I was going through like a really bad relationship drama and I was like single and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I need a community for this because I've, I was solitary for years. I had moved back to Florida and all of my friends were in other parts of the country. 
So I was like, okay, I haven't found the community down here because of the way my relationship was set up. Like I never left. So um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to find people on the internet, I guess. Right. So then I changed it from the pottery page to wild woman witchcraft. And I've been just doing whatever, ever since it's, it hasn't ever been about being popular. It's been about finding people to connect with. I love it. Your stuff is very entertaining. I'm loving your McCormick coven uh, situation that you have going on. I am planning, I will totally tell you, I'm planning on completely ripping that off because in Mexican magic, we have um, El Guapo, which is like in, in like in Safeway when you get to the herbs and stuff. It's like all the Mexican herbs and whatnot, which is basically our version of McCormick. Uh, so I am planning on doing a Mexican version of that and I will tag you in it. And in I'm South so excited. Florida, we have Badia, like that's ours. <laughs> So I, but you know what I, my, the biggest upset about McCormick Coven is that McCormick still has not responded to me. I <gasps> sent them a number of messages and I, I sent them one message once when I was like, would you like me to stop tagging you? Because I will. And they <laughs> did not respond. So I've taken it as a sign that they like the press and I've gotten so many messages. Like I went to, I went to the store to get Italian seasoning. It was sold out. And I was like, Yes. McCormick because coven. people are doing witchcraft with their Safeway spices. <laughs> I mean, I whatever. It's folk magic, so... Exactly. Exactly. You work with whatever is on hand because, as we like to talk about on this podcast, it's really about more than, you know, specifically where they came from. It's more of, you know, being able to actually work with the spirit of these plants and things like that, you know, doing that actual work on it. Um, so something that I have been dying to talk with you about, um, I came on to an Instagram live you were doing a couple weeks ago, and I came on right when you started talking about the fact that you have a background in folk Catholicism. Now, a lot of people are freaking out right now because I use the big C word, Catholicism, and on a witchcraft podcast, this can be dicey territory, but I love me some dicey territory. So can you describe um, kind of just to, you know, give a, a, a brief introduction for people on what folk Catholicism is? I think this is going to change from person to person, right? Mm -hmm. But um, growing up for me, my mom was Catholic, extremely Catholic. My grandma, God rest her soul, every day of her life that she was alive, she went to mass. She went to mass every single day. And I constantly get harassed by my aunts and uncles, whether I'm going to mass or not. So that's like where my life is. And they know I've been a, they know I've been pagan for like a while now. Um, like over like, God, it's gotta be close to 15 years or maybe a little more or less. And, um, and they still harass me about this. Um, is that, you know, Catholicism has a lot going for it, right? It's got a lot of, a lot of saints, um, and a lot of techniques for using the saints. And so when you think about Christianity, right? Yeah. Let's take a step back. I think before you can jump into what is folk Catholicism, because you have to take a step back of what's important to Christianity, right? And mm -hmm. what's important to Christianity was the concept of God and then mm -hmm. Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. So then we had the three that, that the Catholics were using. Well, then there was more. And that's what differentiates Protestants and Catholics is that the Catholics have the saint system. Protestants mm -hmm. do not have the saint system. And Protest a lot of Protestants view Catholicism as witchcraft because of the saint system. So, um, so, you know, we have that going on. So as a kid growing up, my mom had Catholic 
like statues. We had this altar table in my back, like in the back side of my house, there's a big back door and we had a big table back there full of prayer candles, statues. Um, we lit incense on it every day. I still have, um, Mary undoer of knots on my altar. Like that is something Mm -hmm. I work with all the time. So Catholicism itself isn't necessarily witchy, but what makes it folky is that you're doing things from your culture that aren't necessarily written into the liturgical essence of Catholicism. So where Mm -hmm. we would have things written in like for, um, for Protestants, it would be like the book of common prayer, right? So where we would have things written like that, what makes it folky is that you're taking cultural prayers or things that wouldn't necessarily be tied to Catholicism and then putting the lens of Catholicism on it and using them in that way. That's what makes it from classic liturgy to folk-based Catholicism. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's a wonderful synopsis of it. I always call it kind of Catholic plus because it's like Catholicism plus all this other stuff because, you know, these, these, cultures you know i i do mexican folk catholicism and, and you're talking about irish folk catholicism but either way it's is what happens when pagan people have to marry their beliefs with catholicism but before the the catholics showed up they the, these people already had this wide expansive view of the other side they had already met spirits and you know done this magical working and so something like the bible and christianity seems so very small and so very narrow so you just kind of just put the bible on top of it like a hat and call it a day <laughs> yeah that's a, it's a, I mean, it's a good synopsis. Um, I think between the two cultures that we're representing here both of them had established thoughts and traditions before Catholicism came to them. Specifically for for the Irish people, a lot of what we know about their beliefs and their mythology and their culture and everything was written by monks because it was it was verbally, it was a verbal thing, it was verbal uh tradition. So mm-hmm. when, you know, when they came, that's why we have the Book of Kells. The Book of Kells wasn't written by necessarily the Irish people. It was written by monks. And so a lot of Irish tradition was was scribed by people who were religious, who were not of the culture religiously. And um, so we see a lot of carryover, especially within Irish tradition of there's a real hand in hand. And I feel like when people ask about Irish folk magic, I always tell them, well, how comfortable are you with Catholicism? Because if you're not, I, I don't want to explain it right now. They take too much time. Um, because they're very married unless you're going like druid stuff you can kind of deviate when you're going that but if you just want folk you're going to get a lot of catholicism imagery in that absolutely absolutely i just wanted to echo something you said temperance earlier i grew up a non-denominational evangelical christian um as a child and we did absolutely view Catholics as basically practicing witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, um, I never had that point of view until I, I spent some years in a cult, and uh, we had to go to this evangelical church once a week, and I definitely heard it there. So I was like, oh, I didn't know people actually said this, but they do. Right. 
Yeah. But just an FYI, like there was still folk magic happening within the evangelical like church. Y'all have circles. those snake, the snake things the snake going people. on. Yeah, I don't. I can't just yeah. be a Florida thing because they're doing that in Florida. And for anyone listening that's not from Florida, I'm just going to explain it because it, maybe it is just like a Southern American thing. But basically, what they have, they the evangelicals have this day where they bring out these poisonous snakes. And they make everyone hold them. And I think it's basically like supposed to say like whether you've been righteous or not or have the grace of God. And if you have the grace of God, then the snake won't bite you. But people always get bit at this thing. And it's (laughs) like the snake handler thing is like a real big thing in Southern evangelicalism. Like it's a big thing. The speaking in tongues thing that they do also weird that they but it's a thing that they do down here um oh yeah that's that's my family right there like <laughs> we don't do any we don't do any snake handling but there is a lot of speaking in tongues i was actually um she wasn't very open about it but i did later on in life kind of suss out that she was a hoodoo lady at our church she actually laid hands on me and blessed me apparently with the ability to speak in tongues um it's it's just a thing like a lot of um it's it's a very ecstatic tradition and i don't even really know how to de- describe it because there is it's non-denominational for the at least that's what i grew up with it was just like this ecstatic being taken by the holy spirit type tradition so this is really fascinating to like hear y'all's perspective on catholicism which is so mysterious to me so this is really cool Okay, so I had to look it up because I knew that the snake handling came from a specific verse in the Bible. And it's Mark 16, 18 that says, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. So sometimes you'll also get people too who will like drink poison and like not not be hurt by it because, you know, Jesus or whatever. And for those of you listening, we are not condoning that any of you go out and try no. this. I don't care how down with Jesus you feel like you are. Um, but we're going to, we're going to skip over that. Cause that's, it's not. A- yeah. Do not handle venomous snakes y'all. No. So when we talk about folk Catholicism, there, there is a tendency for it to be very magical. You know, when we have our own, you know, kind of pagan based practices blended in with Catholicism, which is already kind of mystical in itself, there is a tendency for people to get their wires crossed. And this is something that uh, I asked you about in an AMA you did on Instagram the other day about misconceptions about uh, folk Catholicism. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that you said was that it is not witchcraft. No, or at least not automatically witchcraft. I think that it, this is my opinion. This is a personal opinion thing. Um, we can't just ascribe the word witchcraft to whatever we feel like because we want to. And there's many traditions of mysticism. Being mystic doesn't make it witchcraft. And and, and in itself, um, the word witchcraft intonates Eurocentric practice. And we know that Catholicism is global um, and in itself, it's a religion based off of Middle Eastern stuff. So I don't feel like it would be fair to call folk Catholicism offhanded witchcraft unless the person practicing it is calling it witchcraft. That's what makes the difference. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with that. And in a lot of the places where we have these Christian folk traditions that are blended in with the magic, so things like who do things like, um, you know, things like that, that we're working with. 
these cultures will take great offense to you suggesting that it is witchcraft. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, you know, these like uh, these hoodoo people, you know, people in my culture, you know, coming from a Latino culture are would be absolutely horrified. If you were like, oh, this is witchcraft, they'd be like, no, we don't do that devil stuff here. Even though if you look at it, it looks very much like witchcraft and we have the same basic mechanics behind it. But you're right. You know, witchcraft is specifically kind of this Eurocentric idea um, that we don't find in other places. So I think that's a very important distinction to make that these things are not technically witchcraft, even if they are uh, innately sort of magical or unorthodoxly spiritual i don't even know if an un, if an, <laughs> i don't even know if unorthodoxly is a word but i'm going to use it today the nuance and the difference is in the word um mm-hmm. you can be mystical without being a witch and that's the nuance absolutely and that's something that i've been trying to impress upon people because everyone right now is calling everything witchcraft they're like, uh, like, you know, they're doing herbalism and they're like, I, this makes me a witch or like they're reading tarot and, and therefore that's, you know, witchcraft. And we can be things outside of witches. You know, you can be a psychic, you can be an herbalist, you can be, um, you know, an alchemist or whatever these things are that are not necessarily witchcraft, but are in at least a similar boat. Mm-hmm. So something else I wanted to come back to in Mexican folk Catholicism. There is a tendency to almost absolutely forget about God and Jesus and work straight with Mary. Yes. Is that a thing that happens in Irish folk magic? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that um, Catholics are all Mary's girl. Like, we just got to be genuine with that. I mean, every like Catholics love Jesus, but they love Mary. They love Mary. They stand Mary. Um, And, you know, there's certain saints that are more prevalent in certain areas. So, I mean, we all know the biggest Irish saint, St. Patrick. Um, I'm going to say St. Bridget, St. Brigid, however you're going to say it. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are two of the big Irish saints. But then we have like the normal ones that are also popular. St. Michael, St. Peter, you know, um, this Christopher. is a number. Yeah. yeah. Expedis, expedit, expeditus, expeditus. Forgot to edit that out, but you know who I'm <laughs> trying to say. Yeah, St. Um, Expedite. Yeah, yeah St. Expedite. Yeah, so there's a number that are very, very popular. And I think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know who the popular Mexican folk saints would be other than the, the one that I'm not going to say. Um... That she is totally misunderstood. I'm going to say that about her is that she's totally misunderstood in America, in in North America, but she is not recognized by the Catholic body, the Catholic unifying body. So that's Mm -hmm. also an interesting thing. That's how you, there are a number of saints that are saints to Catholics that are not saints to the Catholic church. And that's Mm -hmm. where we can differentiate folk Catholicism from Catholicism is the people that are working with these folk saints um, know that they're not working with the classic liturgy and, and you know, that's another big deviation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you guys in Irish um, folk Catholicism have non-canon saints that you guys observe? I think there are a few, but I don't work with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. There's, 
quite a few in Mexico because we are we are ready to jump on every train that shows up in Mexico. So we're like, yes. Um, Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. Sorry to interject. Just as a person who doesn't know a lot about Catholicism, when you say non-canon saint, would that be somebody like um, what comes to mind is like Mary Magdalene? Like, I know that she is by some folks venerated as a saint, but is she like a saint proper? Is that what you mean? So I I was talking, I'm just going to say it, even though I said I wasn't going to say her name, I was talking about Santa Marte. Like, she's not canonized. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we have folk Catholicism, what will happen is the local population will have um, kind of folk heroes that they turn into saints that they work with just the same way as saints, but the church does not recognize them. So, yeah. So in in Mexico, um, like say we'll have uh, El Nino Fidencio and he was a, a curandero who was a healer and he did, you know, amazing healing work for the community. And then when he died, um, he continued to work miracles the way that many saints do, but the church never decided to add him to the actual list of saints, but many people will still work with them and call upon them in the same way. Uh, Right. Okay. So like St. Cyprian. uh, Maybe. I don't really work with with St. Cyprian. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. (laughs) I I think some of them. I want to just bring it back to Mary Magdalene. I had to do a quick Google on it just to make sure what I was saying was right. I did think that Mary Magdalene was sainted. She is sainted. um, And she's the patron saint of women. Right. Okay. She's a saint saint that has fascinated me since I was a child, even though Catholicism was considered taboo in my family. And yeah, I love that she's um, the patron of of women. Um, Also perfumers, I learned. And she's like the patron of perfume houses and people who blend potions and whatnot. That's really cool. I I mean, it it makes sense for it makes sense for what her her career path was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, those are I love that in that story that Jesus kind of left the bulk of his, you know, spiritual wisdom and mysticism with Mary Magdalene. Because there's a sort of idea that Jesus definitely came straight from a woman. And maybe this is a bit of a hot take, but, you know, the the idea of the Jesus story is that Jesus was God incarnated on Earth. But I don't think Jesus was the only one incarnated on Earth. I think Mary was also something else that was incarnated on Earth. Because when Mary, when Mary and apparitions appear, she doesn't say, hey, I'm Jesus's mom. She appears and she says, I am the mother of God. Ooh. The one who created heaven and earth. And I'm like, ooh. ooh, that is different than I am just some girl that the Holy Spirit picked to birth Jesus. Like, I mean, I, while we're on this topic that you didn't mention at all, I just want to I just want to throw in there for people um, is that a lot of people and a lot of people push this off. Right. We know that an angel came to Mary you know, the whole concept of be not afraid. And a lot of witches are missing out on working with angels in their true form. Because once we give angels back their true form, they take on so much power. Like, oh, yes. Yes. Amen. Just a hot take. Amen. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so here for it. Yep. Yeah, those things are so important. These beings are so powerful. And they're so far outside of specifically Christianity. Like I know people who do not at all like subscribe to Christianity, but have had these amazing experiences with angels, either in like their high ceremonial work or these beings are so far outside of the lines that we draw ourselves. 
witches are really missing out if they're not reading the Bible and or like dipping into the toes of Christ or into the waters of Christianity, I feel. I think that's something that is really missing. Even if you identify as pagan, I identify as pagan, but there's a lot to be gleaned from, from like all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, I don't think that everyone has to study Christianity or read, read the works of it. However, I feel like people who have religious trauma from their childhood should, because there's a point where we have to reclaim the words from the actions of the people. Um, because yes. there's something, every single line in the Bible has another contradictory line in it. So if you've ever been spewed venom by specific verses, there's literally always a counter verse in the Bible that says the exact opposite. So hmm. that's just, I just think that so many people would benefit from as adults reading it, or at least making peace with the work, because there's a lot of stuff in there that is used in folk tradition. Um, and if you're not a folk witch, I guess it doesn't matter. But if you do want to walk folky, I mean, you're pulling out Psalms. You might as well make peace with it. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. That's something that I started to realize, too, when I began attending like conventions and things like that, that are supposed to be sort of witchcraft, you know, magic based. And I realized that I was attending these things that they're all specifically pagan. And so for me, showing up as a person that identifies as Catholic, I realized very quickly that I needed to not tell anybody about that because like I had people even come up to me and not knowing my background, start complaining to me that um, that the guy who was doing the Santa Muerte class was terrible because he brought up Catholicism in it. I mean, and. <laughs> Which okay. you have to do. And if you're not bringing up Catholicism, when you're talking about Santa Muerte, then you are doing it completely wrong. And I will fight people on that uh, because you cannot separate her from Catholicism. I don't care how much you want to neo-pagan this whole idea. You know, this work, especially in communities of color, when we have things like hoodoo, uh, etiseria, these things that come out of, you know, Mexican culture, uh, Southern African-American culture are all based in christianity and if we continue to have this hold of everything that is magical is specifically pagan then we are excluding a great number of very powerful uh folk practices whether they're irish or they're italian or they're mexican or you know southern or any of those things these are very powerful things that exist but because of the religious attachment to christianity they're not welcome and i think yeah. we're missing a big piece of the pie there you know i think i think I I understand what you're saying and I fall on the other end because while, you know, I'm, we were having, you know, a conversation on folk Catholicism, I'm a pagan. So mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I grew up Catholic. Um, actually I grew up in a split religious house. My dad wasn't Catholic. He was a different religion, but my mom was. And, um, and now I'm pagan. So, you know, I, I understand the, the upset that a lot of people have with Christian Christianity. And I, and I have to correct myself because I said what I meant to say, people have their upset with Christians, not yes. Christianity. And mm. um, there's the difference is they conflate the two. They don't realize that there's, they're different because people interpret the works and they weaponize it and make it awful. But I don't feel like that has to be what it is, but um, 
I feel like with Santa Muerte, I, and you know, I don't want to spend like a whole ton of time on her because she makes me nervous. But um, <laughs> you can't separate her from her Catholic imagery because her name is Santa Muerte. She's saint. You can't separate the two. If you're call, if you're calling her in under that form, you can't separate the two. That's my opinion. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially where you see that she chose to appear in Catholic Mexico with all of this Catholic imagery at the same time, you know, if she had shown up in, you know, the middle of Europe or if she had shown up in Africa, you know, these things would be different, but she chose to show up where she did for a reason. And so I feel it really comes down to respecting her choice and not making it about us, about our personal trauma, things like that, because your spirits are sentient people or sentient beings that have their own wants and needs that we have to be respectful of. It's kind of like when people have ancestors that were Christian, but their ancestor altar is like all this pagan stuff on it and whatnot. I'm like, this is, this is not about you. <laughs> like, this is about them. This is their space. Yeah. Uh, I think I, our, I, our ancestor altar is mine looks so scuffed because it's full of stuff that people will be like, the heck is this on there for? And I'd be like, they liked it. Like, you know, <laughs> Halloween came around and saw in and, um, and had, Marlboro Reds all over my house and my boyfriend was like why are these here you didn't even smoke these I was like yeah but my family did <laughs> yup that's what my mama likes she likes to have her cigarette some coffee and some chocolate cake <laughs> same yup <laughs> that, that's the order man I hope that when I die that there's somebody tending to me like that in the afterlife so can I deviate our conversation away from Catholicism for just a minute? Yeah. Is that awesome? Temperance, I'm so curious about folks' early childhood experiences, like those of us who identify as witches. And I'm curious, what was like your earliest moment where you were like, oh, shit? Um, I had started doing stuff with my mom when I was a kid. Mm. and that wasn't the oh shit moment. That was the, I'm doing things with my mom. And then she died. And Mm. that was my oh shit moment because I had to make a choice, um, whether I was going to keep doing the things that she had taught me to do. And I made the active choice to continue doing it. Um, so that was basically my oh shit moment was, you know, I had been taught how to, how to work the altar, how to work the saint altar, how to, you know, do all that stuff. And then when she died, my dad had kind of reworked it and we, we had her urn on the altar. Um, we had taken some of the statues off. And so it really became like a memorial altar almost. And that was like my deciding moment of like, at the time I was actually losing faith too. I was like, I'm not Christian anymore. Like if there was a God, this wouldn't have happened, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, all those things that kids say. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not Christian anymore. Um, but I continued to do the things that she had taught me. And that was my deciding factor of like, okay, this isn't about religion anymore. This is about something deep or something else. And where do I fall into that? That's beautiful. So you would say that was kind of like your defining moment of when you really committed yourself to the path? I committed myself to my practice at that point, but I wasn't pagan yet. I became a pagan when I was like 13. Um, and and it just felt right. I just like kept reading the books and I was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I just, um, but I didn't believe in God for a long time. Not like that they weren't existent, just that they weren't existent to me. And I held a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. And um, 
And I worked primarily with land spirits for a very, very long time until a few years ago. And when I, I worked on and off with some gods, like as acquaintances, and I think people get confused. They're like, oh, you know, I need to find my deity. Like you can work with deities without them being your deity. So I had worked on Mm -hmm. and off with a bunch of gods. And then, um, and then I really kind of like came into my own a few years ago and found like mine, but I still primarily really work with land spirits a lot. It's just where I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I like doing. They like me and I like tending the land. So cool. I feel that that's kind of where where I'm at as well. I work with land spirits, but it's interesting that deity can be kind of a gateway into that stuff. Like they kind of open doors for us and allow us to get closer to the land and whatnot. Mm hmm. I feel like they all have a different place for me. Like who I work with is depending on what my work is doing. Like Mm -hmm. I don't bother deities, like gods. I don't bother gods with like petty shit, like whatever I'm dealing with. Like that is not something I go to them for. I go to them for other bigger things um, where I might maybe need like divine intercession. But if I'm just doing some petty bullshit, I'm probably working with the tree in my yard or an ancestor or something like that. Yeah. I love that. One of my favorite stand-up comedians is uh, Kathleen Madigan, and she's Irish. And she has a whole stand-up routine called uh, Bothering Jesus, where she talks about being raised Catholic. And she's like, you know, you don't just go to Jesus or to God because they're busy. You know, if you're having trouble, you go to the saint in charge of the activity that you're having trouble with. <laughs> Otherwise, you are bothering Jesus. I feel like that's my point of view. It's, yeah. I, that's That's a... I feel like maybe that's some like religious carryover because that is my point of view. Yeah. But I think that's something that's important to take into consideration because a lot of the times people are running to these big deities or these very scary spirits for very basic things. I have people in my DMs all the time who, if we come back around to the Santa Muerte thing that are like, oh yeah, like, you know, I've, I just some random person just decided to grab a Santa Muerte statue and some candles because they needed a boyfriend. And I'm like, you are inviting death into your home because you want a boyfriend. You couldn't have prayed to like Saint Save a Ho, nothing. Like you went to death for this. I'm going to need you all to back up before we get into trouble. So that's, that's like, that's what, that's, that's the disconnect. And I think that just comes with time and practice and, and um, humility, admitting when we're wrong. And, you know, Thorn. Um, Mooney recently did a video of like, you know, I haven't always been good at this basically is like the synopsis of the video. And, and it's so true is like, there's nothing wrong with being a beginner and making these mistakes, but there's nothing that says you have to pretend to be better than you are either. Like, yes. Yeah. We're Absolutely. all at our own levels working through our shit. So like for me, the gods that I work with, um, and I say gods, it's very specific. I don't work with any goddesses. I work with all male deities, all male gods. and um, they're gods of war, death, and and like trickster. Like that's those are the only energies I work with, and I'm not calling one of them to handle Susan from work. Like push <laughs> me. So you're like, I have a blackberry bush in the back that will handle that. Like I don't need. I have some thorns in a jar somewhere. I will get them out. Like yeah. Oh my god, I love that. I love that. I've definitely been guilty of bothering gods for my petty bullshit, to be honest. 
I mean, we I, all have at one point. Right? I know. I could have done it, but I know. I get a little crybaby, and I'm just like, but why? <laughs> I, you know, what I really like, and I, I don't want to bring it up, but just because I want to hear your guys' opinion on it. Um, I know this is supposed to be my interview, but um, I have recently been, uh, well, attempted to be hexed by someone who used sent and to do it and i didn't do anything wrong in this situation so i knew nothing was going to happen to me because she was going to come into that and be like what the heck is going on here you know um how do you guys feel about people calling on sent and to do petty hexing because that's something that's going around the internet really heavy right now mm. i don't work with her so yeah, that I can't really answer. But like with other gods, like if somebody went through a deity to do like a petty hex or something, I feel like I get a pretty big heads up before it landed. They don't you know, land. You... That's my experience is they don't land. Yeah. Because your messenger, your farrier is basically like. <laughs> you want me to do what and why? <laughs> no, I. I think honestly, that's something that is going to really bite them in the ass because you are, again, when I was talking earlier, you are inviting death into your home when you do this. And so I, and I need to say very clearly that I do not believe that Santa Muerte is an evil spirit. I do not believe that. That being said, that also doesn't mean that she is neutral or that she is good. Um, She is a wrathful, she is, you know, she is death this is a cold spirit that you're working with and so you have to really sit down and understand what it means to invite death into your life now the other thing is is that santa muerte does not work for free and if you promise her something you need to deliver it to her or else it's going to get ugly so whatever these people are trying to throw hexes at you using or through her are then having to promise her something and follow through with it. And people get in over their heads very quickly. It's like hiring the mob to do a hit because now you're on their radar. Now you owe them things. Now they, you know, they can call it favors and stuff like that. So the more that they're trying to do this, while their hexes aren't landing, they are digging a big hole for themselves with her of things that they owe her, things that they need to do. And people make really big mistakes. Like the first thing that they ask her for will be something that they think is really big. Like, oh God, like my my old car is busted down. I really need a new car. And if you will give me this new, get me this new car, then I will be a devotee of yours for life. And then she comes through. And then people are like, oh fuck. I am now handcuffed to the spirit for the rest of my life. Or other stories I've heard of people who are like, if you do this for me, I will get a tattoo of you just across my chest. And then she comes through and then people are like, I don't, I don't have the money for that. And then things get very, very real for them. So I would just let them promise her all kinds of things while she's just not at all hexing you (laughs) and they will dig themselves a hole. You know, she, oh, I mean, she has like other aspects, and I think people forget that like she is very well known for protecting innocent people. Like that's mm-hmm. th- that's a thing about her. So if you're hexing someone who doesn't deserve to be hexed, I hate to say that she's probably going to be the mirror on that to begin with. Not only is that getting bounced back to you, but you're gonna have to work through some other things with her. I just bad news bears. Well, Ooh. and two people don't understand that Santa Muerte is not one that you just 
pop down on your altar and start asking her for things. This is a spirit that you need to work with for months to create a relationship before you then ask them for anything. Otherwise, you're just straight up bothering her. Like, could you imagine just like walking down the street and having some random person come up to you and be like, hi, can you get me a new car? And you're like, who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> And she will do that. Also, Santa Muerte, this is another thing that people are going to, not to just go on a giant Santa Muerte tirade, but people also don't understand that though she accepts and loves all people, that does not mean that she will work with all people. She's notoriously picky. So a lot of people think that they're working with her and they're not. And that becomes a problem. But that is that is the end of the Santa Muerte for me. <laughs> All right. So we are winding down here. Um, and I wanted to leave it with asking you, because my introduction to you, the first time I ever saw you, it was when you were on, it was you and I want to say Warrior Witch Nike. Um, and is she now Dat Darling? Because yeah. she used to be Esoterica, right? Yeah, she used to be Esoterica three through three, but now she's Dot, darling. Okay. Um, in which you were all giving hot takes. And it was one of the most wonderful videos I had ever watched. Um, and you had some excellent ones. So I'm wondering if you would like to leave us with a hot take. I have riddled this podcast with hot takes. (laughs) I have riddled this hot podcast all day with hot takes. But, um, you know, I don't think anything is super pressing on my mind, except that, and this is the coldest hot take I could give you, okay? I mean, like, this is ice cold. Basically, my hot take is that if you are getting all of your gnosis from TikTok, you're probably not a true witch. <gasps> she said it. Man. Yes. Thank you. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. Not to say that you can't, you can't, it's not to say that you can't be a witch because you're on witch talk, but you need to do more than just watch TikToks to be a witch. And I think right. that's getting lost in translation. And and, you know, it is what it is, but um, I highly encourage anyone that's heard me say that. Um, I want to super state that it's not a discouragement. Um, it's more of an encouragement that if you have found your path through TikTok, through Witch Talk, through Occult Talk, through whatever, buy a book, join a group, join a Discord, watch videos, watch YouTubes, watch, you know, do mm-hmm. ma- take the step outside of that platform and join the rest of the community mm-hmm. because I promise we're so different. We're so, so, so different from what's happening there. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. It, remind, it reminds me of the Tumblr days. I think that's kind of dead now, but the Tumblr witch days were also a time period where there was a lot of terrible misinformation going around. Nothing as crazy as trying to hex the moon, um, which was a <laughs> thing that happened on TikTok. Yeah. So, I, you like, know, I love the creators. I'm going to say I do love a lot of the creators on TikTok because a lot of them are on the other platforms, but it's, it's, it's the, it's not the, it, I want to make this so clear because the way I worded it, I should reword my hot take. Can I reword my hot take? My hot take um, is that, God, I, I got to figure out how I want to say it though, because here's the thing, right? Is that it's not the creators that aren't witches. It's the people in the comments going off about God knows what. and. I have fallen victim to those commenters many times. Um, I don't know how I want to say that hot take. So maybe I'll just leave another one and we'll just have this conversation and I'll think of a different hot take because I can already tell like 
Oh, that's a that's way spicy. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Your eyes go up. No, no. no I think not it's spicy. I think I, it's truth. I think you are dead on with it because it's really important that people understand that there is more to witchcraft than witch talk. And though I understand what you're saying about that, it's not always the creators. I have found as well that a lot of times just because people have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok or Instagram or anything like that doesn't mean that they actually have good information. So sometimes you do run across these people who are just pumping out bad info into the community in mass. You know, we have these sort of like um, Audrey Kitching type situations, uh, all, all kinds of people who have really been caught doing that. And the higher up I get in this world and the more that I meet influencers and things like that, the more I realize how many of them are absolute frauds. You know, I think if, if I, if I can reword my, my hot take, it's just because like when you're writing, you can, you can really figure out how you want to say it before you say it, you know, when you have to verbally say, (laughs) say what you're, um, is that I think my opinion is that true witchcraft is seldom found on TikTok. That's my actual hot take. Um, I like that. Because I've I've seen a number of these videos. Like, let's just subtweet right now the jars going around on TikTok. What is <laughs> that? What's going on there? Why do you guys have these jars and what are you putting in them? Because it's not what you think it is. And 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 then you're you're containing whatever your spell you're doing, you're containing it to the jar and you're not working with it proper. Like I just and I'm just very confused yeah. and I, I want people i want as much as tiktok complains about appropriation they sure do a lot of it it is true it is true and that's one of those things where i'm like these new witches and stuff like that think that the the jar hex is kind of like the end all be all this is how you really mess somebody up and i'm like you are going to put the wrong witch in a jar someday and then like bringing a jar to a witch war is like showing up with a styrofoam sword to a gunfight. Like these poor, these poor children out here in these hoodoo streets, just armed with a jar full of glitter and bullshit. Just it's a jar full of do lies. Not say they are doing hoodoo because they do not view it that way. Ugh, it is so bad. It's so bad. They. It's. I worry for them a lot because I'm like, you are going to you're going to step in something one day that you're not ready to step in. No, something I have different. one. Jar. I think that's like something that people are always like, Oh, do you work with? Jar? I don't work with jars. I'll tell you why I work with one jar and it takes so much of my effort to maintain. I've had this jar. I've been taking care of this jar for six years. It's on my <sighs> bookshelf. And, um, and it was, it was a jar for my divorce. and. I have to I have to now take care of this jar for an additional 10 years. That's that's when this jar is going to expire for me and I feel like people don't realize how long term a jar can really be yes. um, and how much effort can go into it and mm-hmm. and they're not that's why I don't work with them. I made the mistake once and that mm-hmm. was it. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that they do take a lot of time. Like I get a lot of messages from people who are like, so I I put this random dude's name into a jar of honey like 20 minutes ago and he doesn't love me. What's going on? And I'm like, honey jars will take you like months. This is slow work that you are pouring into over long periods of time. Like 
This is not instantaneous. I think that's like that's a big thing. People think honey jar and they think like sweetener jar. So they're thinking honey. I used molasses in mine because I wanted it to be slow forever. Like this is Mm -hmm. the spell's not going anywhere. It's steady. But Mm -hmm. if you want a quick thing, you're using sugar and water. Sugar and water is so fluid. White sugar. Yeah. Like that's really quick. That's a quick material honey is sticky and slow yeah takes a long time but also it it works better and longer i love to apply a little bit of heat to my honey jars because you know how they'll crystallize when they Mm. get cold and i never like to let my work get cold if i'm working with honey i like to keep it nice and warm i mean obviously you're still moving on on top of it yeah so it's still flowing and like and also just like warmth is really nice when you're trying to sweeten something up to you I give, I'm going to throw this tip out there is that when I'm doing spells that people would usually be like, oh, honey jar, sweetening jar, whatever, I give honey as an offering and I just do the spell work on a candle. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I literally, honey is the offering because I can buy so much honey from the store next to me. They have this like local honey and it's cheap. I can get like a glass jar, like it's like a glass ball jar of it for five bucks. And mm-hmm. I just give that as an offering and then I go about my business because I'm not, I don't have time to maintain a jar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because a lot of people don't realize that their offerings too can also be a message of what your spell is going to be. So, you know, if you're doing a love spell, you know, instead of offering them like a hunk of bread or something like that, you know, you can offer them like, you know, cinnamon and honey or something that's, you know, very much along the lines of whatever you're asking for. You can kind of encode it into your offerings. All right, you guys, this has been a wonderful talk. Thank you so much, Temperance, for coming on with us. We really appreciate having you here. Can you tell people where to find you? Of course, I am. I can be found on the internet all over um, at Wild Woman Witchcraft on Instagram and YouTube at Temperance Alden on Twitter, Wild Woman Witchcraft on TikTok, uh, Wild Woman Witchcraft on Pathios Pagan, and WildWomanWitchcraft.com. So pretty unanimous there. Um, and also, Year of the Witch is out, so it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, pretty much wherever books are sold. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being on here. Once again, we are J. Allen Cross and Britton Boyd here with Invoking Witchcraft Podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you very much, Temperance. Have a wonderful day, and we will be sure to have you on again in the future. Of course. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, it was lovely speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you.